Good morning. Well, today we just have a, such a pleasure because uh, really one of my best friends is in the house to speak this morning. Corey Russell's here with us. But more than him just being a great friend to me and my family, um, Corey carries a spirit of uh, prayer and a spirit of revival. And I just, I just know that there's a deposit he's going to leave for us this morning. And so I just... I know we're in the early morning service, but how many of you would just say, I'm going to act like we're in the late afternoon service today? <laughs> Let's just put a draw on the word. Let's put a draw on what the Spirit of the Lord wants to do this morning. And uh, let's just go ahead and set our hearts to receive. I believe God wants to touch everybody today. How many believe that? That God wants to touch me today. I believe that. So um, would you just welcome Corey with me as he comes? Corey, come on. And I want to pray for him. And he's going to unpack the word for us. <clears throat> this is your first time with us, I think, as a joined community, right? And because um, Corey's, you've been with us almost every year, probably, since we started the House of Prayer in 2004. And, uh, but this will be the first time with, with us as a merged family. So, so awesome. I want you to uh, stretch out your hands towards Corey. We're going to ask him, the Lord to anoint him to release the word of the Lord for us. So, Father, thank you for my friend. Thank you for the message and the messenger being one. And I ask you right now, use him, speak through him as an oracle this morning. And Lord, our hearts are ready to receive what the Spirit of the Lord wants to say. So use my friend, sharpen his mind and sharpen his tongue to speak what heaven is saying. And we thank you for the gift that he is. We receive the gift that he is. Would you just say that? Say that out of your mouth. I receive the gift of God through Corey. Right now, we receive it in Jesus' name. Bless my friend as he, as he ministers in Jesus' name. Amen. Love you, bud. Love you. Good morning. It's good to be with you guys. Um, I spent 18 years at the International House of Prayer in Kansas City, and uh, 11 months ago, our family moved to Dallas, Texas, where we're now part of the Upper Room Church in uh, Dallas, Texas. So, yeah, awesome. Still hate the Cowboys, but I'm, I'm, I'm there. There's only two teams I hate. It's the Cowboys and Patriots. And I can enjoy anybody else. And so, all right, good. That's my transition. Turn to Psalm 1. <laughs> Just wanted to get that out. It's an honor to be with you guys. I just, I believe that what God has done at Newbridge, is doing at Newbridge, is going to become a, a, a model and a paradigm and a wineskin that God's going to do across the earth. And I believe that he is, uh, he's bringing together house of prayer, local church, missions, and he's bringing those three uh, strands together in such a profound way. And, uh, uh, and, and so I, I believe that what is happening here is profound, and many people are going to come to learn about the model and the wineskin of what he's doing here. It's absolutely profound that you have a 24-7 prayer furnace going on right down the road. It's all one family. And uh, I just want to just say you guys are our heroes. And get, get ready and go put your head in that prayer room. It's amazing. Get over there, okay? Do it. <laughs> Psalm 1. I want to look at Psalm 1 and 2. I want to get to Psalm 2. I... I uh, Let's just start. Everybody say the word blessed. blessed. 
and I'm going to be reading from New King James. He says, blessed is the man who doesn't do something. Okay? Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. Everybody say walk, walk. stand, stand. Sit. sit. The, the psalmist is letting us know that whatever you're casually walking with today, you'll be standing in agreement the next day, and you'll be sitting in full agreement the third day. It's ultimately the frog in the kettle, that whatever you're flirting with today, whatever value system, whatever opinions, whatever counsel that you're opening yourself to, whatever you're flirting with today, you'll be standing in deeper agreement the next day, and you'll be fully sitting in it the third day. And the psalmist is telling us, blessed are you who are paying attention to the value system, the culture, and the opinions that you're leaning your ear into. Happy and wise is the person who is discerning that. Let me just break it down to you. Blessed is the man who is not getting drunk on Fox, CNN, and MSNBC. Let me break it down to you. Blessed is the woman, blessed is the man who isn't flirting with a culture of asking the questions, how much can I do and stay saved? How much can I get away as a Christian and still get into heaven? Blessed are you if you make concrete decisions about the counsel you're opening yourself up to, about the path that you're on, and about the seat that you're sitting in. Because the Lord says, blessed are you if you come out of that because, and that you begin to enter into another conversation. I, I have a, I have a uh, little uh, shadow here, so I, I keep thinking somebody's right here texting the whole thing. It's like, interesting. <laughs> I think there's a little person right there. It's me. <laughs> That's my comment break. Let's get back to the intensity of Psalm 1 nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight, everybody say, his delight, his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. Psalmist tells us, you really want to come out of drinking from those cisterns, and you want to fall madly head over heels in love with the word of God. Here's my question for you this morning. Do you love the Word of God? Do you delight in it? Do you enjoy it? When's the last time you cried when you read the Bible? When's the last time you got filled with holy laughter when you read the Bible? I'm not speaking into a vacuum. I'm asking you, I'm giving you questions to ask you. Do you delight in the Word of God? Is it your number one source of entertainment? Is it your number one source of joy, of pleasure, of counsel, of comfort? Is it your getaway? Is it your break? Does it, will it log more hours this month than Netflix? 
Well, it logged more hours this month than Instagram, than Facebook, than chat rooms, than than comment boxes. Will this book own more real estate on the inside of your soul this month than ideas of how to throw the perfect Thanksgiving party? Of how to throw the perfect Christmas party, of the perfect bake bakery and all that kind of stuff. All that stuff's awesome. I'm looking forward to it. But we need a radical shift in the body of Christ. And I'm not just talking about to enliven your quiet times. Because Psalm 2 is coming and he gave us Psalm 1. He gave us Psalm 1 as God's commandment to us. Because most of, I'm not, I don't care about you sitting on your back porch watching the deer eat. Listening to your favorite CD, favorite cup of coffee, and utmost forest highest. So you could go, hmm, that's good. Show me how to use that today, Lord. Everybody say meditate. That means to ponder while speaking to oneself. To take the word of God and to turn it back into prayer to God. I want to make it very clear to you, the words that move you the most are not going to be mine are not going to be Billy's or pastors or anybody else. The words that will transform you the most will be your own. When you hear you declare God's word to God, you are transformed the most. When you hear you speak and pray and whisper and utter and groan God's phrases back to God, you are transformed every time. Something shifts in your psyche. Something shifts in your emotional chemistry. Something shifts on the inside of you and bit by bit by bit by bit releases explosions which release bit by bit by bit by bit more explosions and you build a life of shifting your internal code through meditation. Meditate. Meditate phrases that get on the inside of you. It says, what is the blessing? It says this, he, he meditates in his law day and night. It says that he shall be like a tree, a fourfold blessing. A fourfold blessing. Are, you, are we okay? Yeah. Are you just checking this off your list this morning? Just got 30 more minutes and then you can go about the rest of your week. So we can live disconnected the other six days, 23 hours, and 15 minutes of our week. Are we just checking this box off? Well, then pull on it. Are you saved? Are you born again? Are you awake? Come on. He meditates in his law, and the psalmist says there's a fourfold blessing for the person that does this. Number one, he shall be like a tree planted by rivers of water. If there's anything we need in this culture right now, we need trees in our homes. We need trees in our culture, trees in our churches, trees at work, trees at school. We need trees, trees that provide stability, that provide security, that provide shade and understanding, trees that have broken through the surface. It says that they're planted by rivers of water. Which means it's not just knowing Bible, they've broke through and they've tapped into the underground water sources of the Holy Spirit. They've learned how to feed in every season. They have learned how to feed on the Word of God in every season. I, I tweeted something this morning. It's something I can't get off me right now. Psalm 119 verse 92 
I would have perished in my affliction unless your law had been my delight. If you don't grab a love affair with the word of God, that affliction will kill you. And it will define you and you will live a victim to what you've been through for the rest of your life. If you don't break through into those underground water sources of the Holy Spirit, life happens, stuff happens. Betrayal, offense, difficulty, tribulation. If you don't break through the surface, you're not going to be able, those storms will knock your tree right over. He shall be like a tree planted by rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season. One of the translations means in every season. Whose leaf shall not wither. And whatever he does shall prosper. Don't you want God to co-sign every check you write? Don't you want God to say amen to every dream you dream? Don't you want God to go, let's do this to everything that gets inside of your heart? Do you? I do. I like God saying amen to what I'm praying. Do you know how you get God to say amen to what you're praying? You learn how to come out of the confusion, chaos, and craziness of our culture and learn how to sit down and let his words fill you. And when God's word gets on the inside of you, you speak his word back to him and it moves him to say amen. It's John 15, 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask whatever you desire and it will be given to you. When God hears God through you, God moves. You know what moves God? God moves God. God moves God. He's not going to hear your complaining. He's not going to hear your manipulating. Crisis Christianity, he's so kind, he breaks in because I'd really like to have more than just crisis Christianity. There's a fourfold blessing. I want those fourfold blessings. We need trees. We need people that have broken through the surface and who are thriving in every season. Number three, we need leaves that don't wither. And number four, we need a spirit of prosperity on the inside of us. Prosperity in our souls. Prosperity in our relationships. Prosperity in every realm of our life. Prosperity would follow us. There would be vitality following us on the inside well what happens if we refuse to come out of the counsel of our best friends today what if we refuse to come out of the counsel of our culture the counsel of our favorite news channel the counsel of our favorite uh, Facebook chat rooms if we refuse to come out of the counsel of the ungodly we're going to enter into the counsel of Psalm 2 Psalm 2, I'm not saying this lightly, and I'm not saying this without thinking about it. It It's the most prophetic 12 verses in the Bible. I cannot think of 12 more pertinent and prophetic verses in the whole Word of God that give insight into the current culture globally, into the current, current controversy, and to and into how you and I learn how to fight through battles. We've got to learn how to fight. 
And Psalm 2 tells us how to fight. Psalm 2 and Psalm 1 are one and the same. David, King David, is in a visionary experience, and he's seeing something unprecedented. He's seeing something global. He's seeing something. He is seeing a global conspiracy of all nations, kings, judges, major players, NBA basketball players, the whole world set against God. The major players and nations. Let's read this, verses 1 through 3. Why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth, they set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together. Who are they declaring war against? Against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their bonds in pieces, and let's cast away their courts from us. The ultimate fulfillment of this verse is still in the future as we will see all nations seeking to steal from Jesus what the Father has promised to him. Namely, the city of Jerusalem and the holy hill of Mount Zion from where Jesus will rule the nations of the earth one day. And this is the devil's final attempt of rage, chaos, and confusion to gather as many to abort that plan. This is the devil's rage. But I want you to understand that is going to be fulfilled in a very literal way. But the spirit of this is full alive and well in 2019. And David is watching. I, I picture him flipping through the channels and he's watching a global conspiracy, kings, judges, nations, players, and they're declaring war on God and on his son. What happens when creation declares war on creator? What happens when we say we don't have to repent for sins, we can celebrate them? What happens when we see this from the inspired word of God to a book of suggestions? A book of if it works for you in your specific season. I want you to understand the word of God. That's why Psalm 1 is so important. That if you can't come out of the noise and the chaos of today, if you can't walk at a 2.0 on the treadmill, how do you think you're going to turn into Superman running at a 9.0 on the treadmill? The word of God, see, we're, everybody say bonds and cords. What happens when a generation sees this book as restrictions, as impediments, things we need to redefine, reassess, make it work to get it off of us, reconstruct, redefine, we're building new things to remove its intensity. What happens when a generation comes from sitting under the word and we begin to stand over it and we make it work for us? We need a revival in the word of God. We need a revival in the word of God. This book is not bonds and cords that restrict your pleasure. This book is the boundary lines that enhances your pleasure and safeguards your pleasure.
and protects your pleasure. Rage is a whisper right now. It's going to get louder. Rage is a whisper right now. It's going to get louder. There's an internal rage that's beginning to brew in the nations. And the ultimate rage is Satan's rage that is seeking to abort everything that involves Jesus and his return back to this planet. David is watching this and he calls it vanity. He sees backroom meetings. He sees deals. He sees conspiracies. He sees coups. He sees people talking in back rooms and he calls it vanity. He goes, it's not going to work. You're building a sandcastle. There's a wave coming in. Building sandcastles, put all the billions into it. There's a wave coming in. And it's like he's watching it from this point of view, and he's flipping, and I think it's important, and I'll get back up there in a second for video purposes. <laughs> I understand those video guys. What are we going to do? <laughs> but I think it's important that you understand that verses one through three is at the lower level. It's the horizontal level. It's David's perspective on the rage, chaos, confusion, craziness of his day. God wants us to feel it that at this level, but he doesn't want us to engage in the battle from this level. Because the very next verse it's like the father says, okay, David, feel it, see it, get a hold of it, but we're not going to engage in that. I now want to bring you up into the heavens. Very next verse, it says, he who sits in the heavens, before we get to what he's doing, I want to note that he's in the heavens, which means the father's perspective about the same thing that David's seeing is completely different and it's filled with a holy laugh and a holy confidence. I want you to understand something right now. There is rage, chaos, confusion that's mounting in the nations. But I want you to know that you got to feel it and sense it. But we need to begin to enter in into a divine confidence, into a divine confidence and joy of the Father that's saying no matter how many huff and puff, you're never going to blow this house down. You're never going to stop what has been established from eternity. It says, he who sits in the heavens laughs. That is not a funny verse. It's the most terrifying verse in the word of God is when God laughs. And it says that he will hold them in derision. He will speak to them in his wrath. And he will oppress the nations in his deep displeasure and I love this face of the Father. I love all the faces of the Father. I love Father who hugs son that's been in Vegas partying for the last four years and he comes back bankrupt and nothing. I love the prodigal father that embraces prodigal sons. Who loves getting a hug from dad when you messed up? Three of you, good. <laughs> well, then if you're not that son, you might be the other one. <laughs> In religiousville, that's been working hard for God and never experienced his pleasure. 
Do you know both sons were outside the house in Luke 15? Father's always running out to sons. But there's a third son in that story, and it's the son telling the story. Get in the house. I love that father. But do you know what this Psalm 2 father is? It's a whole different side of Papa. It's a father that says, I have built a hundred trillion dollar business, prepared all of eternity to give it to my son. And there are some people who are trying to break in, kill my son and completely steal the thing that I have planned from eternity to give to my son. How's that Papa feel? It's an, I'm going to open up a can on a whole bunch of people. <laughs> Y'all know about Roy D. Mercer, don't you? Anyway. He says, I want all you kings and all you nations to know you're not going to throw off these bonds and cords and you're not going to rule this city. There was a voting process in eternity before the foundations of the world, that that city belongs to my son. You weren't in the voting process. I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. Do you know God's going to anoint messengers all over the earth that are going to proclaim it? I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. Do you know that Jesus is sitting right now at the right hand of the Father in heaven? Do you believe that? Do you know that there is a man, a Jewish man, who is sitting at the right hand of the Father in heaven right now? Do you believe that? There's only one resurrected body up in heaven right now. Everybody else are angels. Do you really believe that Mary gave birth to Jesus 2,000 years ago? Are you sure? You're about to celebrate Christmas. You need to know this one. You sure she didn't figuratively give birth to Jesus? Whoo, I just had a birth of God in my heart. No, she screamed and a baby boy came out. Do you really believe that that same young boy grew up and died on a cross 2,000 years ago? Three of you believe this. You sure? There's some religions that say that Jesus was replaced with Judas. No, he really died. Do you believe he rose again like he said he would? You're telling me a man dead for three days comes out of a grave just like he said he would? Do you believe that after 40 days he was then caught up in a cloud and taken up to heaven? You're telling me a cloud that's water picked up a man and took him somewhere up there and that he's up there right now? I do too. What did the angels say when they were looking up? They go, why are you looking up? Because <laughs> this is crazy, angels. <laughs> we're not used to this stuff. In the same way he went up, so he's coming down again. It's always safe to say he's coming someday. Beloved, there's a real day in real time. At the sound of the last trumpet when the heavens will open. And a man 
who is fully God will come descending out of heaven, riding on a white horse, his robe dipped in blood, faithful and true, tattooed on his thigh, a sword coming out of his mouth, all the saints, all the angels, Father's house descending with him. As he comes to the earth to establish a real kingdom on this earth. And the Father is declaring to the nations, I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. No devil will stop it. No principality will stop it. No coalitions of nations will stop it. No billionaire, trillionaire, no amount of of, of conspiracy and unity will be able to stop what I've ordained for my son to have. He is the king. He is the king. He is the king who rules through intercession. The scene closes in the very next scene. You are going to witness one of the greatest verses in the Bible. We get to overhear the son and the father talking in the eternal councils. David is overhearing Jesus now looking at the Father, and he says, I will declare the decree. The Lord has said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will give you the nations as your inheritance and the ends of the earth as your possession. You will rule them with the rod of iron and dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. What is Jesus doing? Think if there were a million protesters outside this room. Bunch of chaos, craziness. Every film, news uh, group was here. And I love it because it's chaos outside. And what's Jesus doing in the middle of the chaos? He's making eye contact with the Father. And he's telling the Father what the Father told him to tell him. This is stunning to me. What is the response as increase of chaos, confusion, and craziness ensues in our personal lives, in the culture, and in the nations? What is the answer? Is it to get on Facebook and give that comment that's going to shut everybody down? It's not happened yet, in case you're wondering. I've never seen one comment go, well, buddy, I'm I'm backing off. That's the best thing I've ever heard in my life. What are we called to do? We're called to come out of the chaos, come out of the swirl, and prioritize eye contact with the Father, and let him wash you with two realities. Come on, you got to run with me. You've got 15 minutes. I promise you I'll let you go. You're going to get washed in two realities. Number one. The thing that's going to break off orphanhood off the church. The thing that's going to break off the illegitimate spirit. That's going to break off the religious spirit. That's going to break off the performance spirit. What is the revelation that's going to break in across the nations? You are my beloved sons and you are my beloved daughters. Jesus is speaking back to Abba. He goes, I will declare the decree the Lord has said to me. Note that intercession is not coming up with stuff. It's telling God what he's already told you. 
Prayer doesn't start with you talking. It starts with you listening. And unless you listen long enough, you have nothing to say to him that's actually going to move him. The Lord has said to me, you are my son. Everybody say, I'm his beloved. As things get crazier at home, you're going to need that more and more. And number two, I could spend the next four weeks, we can spend, and I imagine you guys are getting that diet, spend revelation of the Father's embrace and his affections. Oh, your belovedness. What it does is it breaks religion off of you. It breaks performance off of you. It breaks slavery outside the house screaming at God, and it brings you into the house. And he says, because he says in John 8, a slave does not abide in the house, but a son abides forever. And I believe that God is bringing the church out of slavery and into sonship. Into the embrace. Into the place of belonging. Into the place of acceptance. And into the place of inheritance. Slaves work, sons receive. And it's like the father, it's like chaos, and they got these windows. I know, I've been hanging out with Psalm 2 a long time. You come up with all kinds of new things when you're hanging up with a chapter this much. And it's like the father says, you see those nations raging? Ask me for them. And I'm going to make them your inheritance. Just talk to me, son. Just ask me. You see the devil raging in your family? Ask me for your family. You see the devil raging in your marriage? Ask me for your marriage. You see the devil raging in that 15-year-old boy? Ask me for your son. You see the devil raging in your finances? Ask me. Say, God, you know what I know what you said. Where, and this is what the Lord spoke to me. I don't have time to go into it. The last seven years have been the hardest of my life. We lost a son in 2013, and then you just navigate, trying living in the Pacific Ocean, trying to find land. And in the, and no chapter in the whole Word of God has brought more anchoring to my soul like Psalm 2. Because this is what he taught me. I don't need your long prayer list. There's certain seasons you just got to groan your way through it. You got to weep your way through it. You got to, oh, I'm going to show up again. I'm going to show up again. And all he asked me to do for seven years is look at me, son, and then tell me I'm yours. And number two, I want my inheritance. The Lord spoke to me out of Psalm 2 Corey, your greatest places of warfare will become your greatest places of inheritance. You didn't hear what I just said. Your greatest places of warfare will become your greatest places of inheritance. Wherever the devil is playing his hand is a prophetic prayer assignment to you to come out of the shadows, to come out of the bondage, to come out of the religion, come into eye contact, and to begin to ask the Father for what he has promised you in your own life, in your marriage, in your family, in your generations. So 
When we talk about inheritance, we know Proverbs 13 says a good man leaves an inheritance for his children's children. Most of us just think money. Money's about five down the list. How about spiritual legacies? Do you know what I got a dream about? It's a dream when I won't be alive. If the Lord tarries, there's going to be a little boy named Bobby Russell in 2080. Well, I don't know if I'll still be in 60 years. I'm 42. I'll be 100. I got a vision for Bobby Russell, my great-great-grandson, to lift up his eyes and say, God, my great-great-grandfather chose you in his lifetime. God, I cry out that you would release the fullness of everything he labored for and that God would invade his life. That's my inheritance. Hebrews 11 makes it very clear. Their story is connected to our story. It's one story. Jesus. And you don't get too many trials, you know? I don't want to waste a good trial. You know, you know, they're hard. I want to make this thing count. I don't want to just go belly up at the local bar and then just wake up 30 years later. I don't want to go medicating and anesthetizing my pain. Take the oil that comes through the crushing and pour it on Jesus. That oil's expensive. That oil's expensive. Don't waste it on 10 years of Netflix binge watching. I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said that one. <laughs> That's the least of my statements. I... <laughs> I'm not just another preacher coming through here and going to entertain you for 45 minutes. I'm not going to do it. This stuff is for real. When I say I would have perished in my affliction unless your law had been my delight, I mean it. I mean it. The greatest places of warfare, I'll tell you what my inheritance is. We named my son Nash after an old-time intercessor by the name of Daniel Nash. The short of the story is this. A friend sent me a dream in May of 2015. The church was under siege. We were in a Psalm 2 moment. And do you know what the cultural wars have created? One, it's exposing all of our division and fractures. And I believe it's actually God's gift to drive the church. We got a, we got a generation that's pushing the church back into the closet. So we can reconnect with him who is in the closet. So we get our voice back. And in the dream, everybody ran to the church and we realized we don't know how to pray in these days. And in the dream, me and a friend come in smiling, going, these are the days we've been waiting on. And then in the dream, the friend prophesied over me. He says, Corey, for every one voice of awakening, I'm going to raise up seven voices of intercession. For every one voice of awakening, I'm going to raise up seven voices of intercession. He says, and I'm about to raise up a Nashorite army of hidden intercessors. 
They're not going to be known by anybody. They're going to be nameless and faceless. But when they lift up their eyes, all of heaven will move. I will hear their prayers for their families. I will hear their prayers for their neighborhoods. I will hear their prayers for their cities. I will hear their prayers and I will send mighty revival. And I said, God, that's my inheritance. Give me 100 million Nasserites. Give me 100 million. See, God's delivering us from stages. He's delivering us from stages. Because we're getting a revelation of the stage we've been put on by the blood of Jesus. I get to talk to God. <laughs> Ask of me and I will give nations as your inheritance. Ends of the earth as your possession. I believe he wants to release a greater spirit of prayer. We have got to learn how to ascend and come in. Do you know how to get above the storms? You know how to get up a little higher. What to do? What to do when the pressures of this life come? Do you know how to get above the storm? Put your eyes on the throne and saying, I refuse to engage in this battle from a horizontal level. I'm getting up into the heavens. I'm going to connect with the one on the throne. I'm going to see him and I'm going to find my identity as those who have been raised with Christ and seated together with him in heavenly places. <clears throat> Take your pop quiz of life's trials today to prepare you for where the church is going. Don't waste this season. Don't blame shift this season. Don't push it to some other reason. Don't disengage. Don't run to ESPN or the golf course. Look at the Father. Let him wash you every day that you're his beloved. Let it break the power of shame. Let it break the power of, of guilt. Let it break the power of the victim voices. Get washed again. Come out, come out of the yard and come into the house, son. We've got a lot of believers that are in the yard. He's saying, come on in. I believe he wants, uh, he's doing it here. What do you guys think? I think it's so amazing that, so, that this is something that hit me this morning I've never seen before. If we don't come out of the council of today, we'll buy into the council of tomorrow. Because it says the rulers are taking counsel together. Anyway, I believe that God wants to release a spirit of prayer on us. I want to take these last 10 minutes and pray for you. I want to invite you to stand. I wanted to frame Psalm 2 in the big picture, but I wanted to bring it really home to our personal lives. Who in here would say you're in a Psalm 2 situation in your home, your family, finances, bodies, relationships, circumstances? You're in one of those seasons. Whew. Whew. 
The Lord told me, he said, Corey, as it gets louder outside, get quieter inside. 